We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the True Faith Weekly Podcast, sponsored by Phoenix Taxis and Coaches. To book online, please visit www.phoenixtaxis.net. True Faith Weekly Podcast, joined by Ben, Mike and Cy. Hello, struggle there. First name terms only though, as Mickey requested for data protection, in case anyone listening wants to hunt them down, any Sissoko fans. Uh, Yeah, Newcastle drew 0-0 with Stoke this weekend, we're going to have a good chat about that, talk about the future, uh, about how McLaren's doing and we'll obviously also run through Mike's Premier League talking points. You lucky listeners have got two Doggers games this week. God. A Doggers listeners challenge. Um, but first of all, a couple of sh- <laughs> What? It's called the Doggers... No, Doggers with an apostrophe after the S. <laughs> like, my possession of mine, listeners challenge. So I'm going to throw it out to you lads. You lads won't get it. You don't know what you're talking about, really. But some of the listeners might be able to tweet in and tell me an answer. And we'll, live? Well, before we're sending no, 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 not live. It's not the radio show. Oh Speaking of which, you can find us uh, live every Friday, Radio Northumberland, online. Uh, we'll normally do quizzes, most of you probably listen to it, but we'll do the odd quiz, we'll do a preview of the weekend's games and have general other chat. Please tune in, uh, that's live online, Radio Northumberland. And we've got plenty going on at the moment, as always. We have, um, well, big news actually, lads, I know you lads are all delighted. I bloody am. True Faith is now free, the uh, country's best football fanzine, which been going since 1999 in um, uh, glossy paper format. Uh, very successful. I'm delighted to be a part of it. We're delighted to be a part of it. Went online about uh, 12, 18 months ago, and Michael, the editor, decided to make it absolutely free of charge. So thousands have been paying three quid an issue for it. It's now free of charge online, the same amazing quality Get yourself on www.true-faith.co.uk and it's a free, free fanzine. We feature in it, there's quite a few adverts for us and I also write the Through Black and White Eyes diary, which I know you lads sit next to me, bloody love. Read it every week. <coughs> yeah, when it's out. But yeah, have a look, it's what an opportunity to read something as high quality as True Faith free of charge. Tell all your mates, get people to download it and uh, spread the word. Special podcast, we've got one coming up this week uh, with the uh, with Newcastle United Supporters Trust. will be talking to uh, Michael Martin of True Faith about fan ownership and we're joined by... Um, sorry, Ben, just let Ben walk out there. Well, you're bloody doing your notices. Doing your notices by Peter Fannin from the Newcastle United Supporters Trust. Could have gone to the toilet before the podcast. Um, Peter Fannin from the Newcastle United Supporters Trust. That'll be out late Wednesday night. If you've got any questions about the trust... Specifically relating to fan ownership, please tweet us at TF Weekly Pod on Twitter. I'll definitely put your questions to Michael and Peter. Um, and finally, we have another special podcast coming up with Martin Hardy this month. The last podcast we did with Martin about his book, Touching Distance, went down an absolute treat. It was, it, I don't mind saying it was probably my favourite podcast I've ever done. 
not least because it was just me and the lads went here to ruin things. Um, we're going to talk to Martin specifically about the 95-96 season. <laughs> Sorry, he's walking out. <laughs> it's just me and you, you mate. just do it on your own. Yeah, I've been rambling for about three minutes now, actually, <laughs> shit. Um, yeah, we're going to have another podcast with Martin this month. So if you have any questions about Martin's book, the process in the 95-96 season, he is the man. Moving on, Newcastle United nil, Stoke nil. Ben was supposed to be first, but he's not here. <laughs> Should we just wait for Ben? Wait I'm for back. Him. He's back. Ben, Newcastle nil, Stoke nil. Uh, how did we play, and did we batter them? I don't. I wouldn't call it a battering because we only really created three sort of. I wouldn't even say three, two really good chances, but we're very comfortable. I think we limited them to. Only really one sort of guilt edge chance where Elliot's made a save, um, a decent save from point blank range, but it was a bit of a nothing game really. I mean, it was one of those where we, I think we did dominate, but I wouldn't say we battered them just because, as I say, we, we didn't, we only probably had Mitrovic's chance where he hit the post, and then Sissoko should have scored when he threw one on, when, when he threw, went through one on one. But um, it was obviously a much better performance, well, I wouldn't say it was a much better performance actually, it was. Better 90 minutes than uh, Sutherland. Better um, defensively. Yeah. But uh, I think we probably weren't as dangerous as we were for the first 40, 45 minutes against Sutherland. But I don't know. I mean, we talked on Friday about potentially being the hangover from, from the Sutherland game. I, I didn't see that, which was good. Um, but I, I just think there was maybe a bit of um, sort of nervousness about sort of committing too, too far forward. Because I think, again, if we'd have gone behind in that game it would have been a nightmare it's fine was that your hand up yeah I think I think it was the it was the kind of opposite of of what you're saying I don't think it was a win, win getting forward Sunderland uh, uh, you know compared to Stoke is a, is a very inferior opposition Stoke are a better side they're not great but they set up on Saturday so so deep we had we had the ball just passing across the back four and they just didn't come anywhere near with they just sat in their own half so essential and just said like <laughs> ah, but they did it well. They did it well. They, they did restrict it. We couldn't really well, break them down. Did it well, we didn't really score, did we? <laughs> I Again. think what Sai said was they conceded possession and chances, whereas we had seventy percent possession against someone with ten men, mm. whereas fifty-fifty on Saturday. Yeah, they they were they were happy to let us have the ball in our own half and, and let us try and break down eleven men, which was, as you said, more difficult than we than, than it probably should be. But we're, we're, we're lacking confidence. We're lacking goals, and as you said, I, I, we'll probably deserve to win the game just. But um, but <laughs> it was it was close and but for the goalkeeper, you, you know you can't just rely on the goalkeeper having a mare. Well, so we say should we talk about that side? Do you think it, because I want to talk about Stoke a little bit as well because it's how you contextualise this point is only is obviously only um, able to be analysed by looking at the opposition. Mark Hughes was very very keen on playing down Butland's performance. McLaren obviously talked it up. Mark Hughes said that's what goalkeepers are there for and he hasn't really had that much to do whereas obviously that kind of is not in keeping with what the rest of the Stoke team actually said particularly on Twitter and in the post-match interviews where they were like yeah cheers Jack you saved what a day um, Bojan tweeted like great points and away at a very good Newcastle team Jack Button said like great good point wasn't pretty but Newcastle are a really good team so do you think Jack Butland was that good, or do you think it was a case that he was he's expected to make those saves? Well, I watched the highlights since, and there are some good saves in there. Yes, maybe only two or three of them, as you say, Ben, were real clear cut chances. But nonetheless, Perez has had a good shot from just outside the box. Didn't, as well even, as the, didn't even get a match of the day. Yeah, I know. I, I, I saw that. Just Great to, chance. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was there was plenty of chances that he's he's made. Uh, he's made some decent saves, and he was just there. He was he's like he kind of. Just stopping to watch uh, Tottenham. Four on one. Four on one for Oh, Villa. (laughs) It was going wide. It was going wide. (laughs) And hit his hand. Well done, really instead. Sorry, sorry. Uh, What was I saying? Jack Butland, yes, no, he did have a cracking game, and everyone except Mark Hughes thought so. So, as you say, it's kind of. He's just made himself. I think it's one of those. He's come out of the media and said it, but behind closed doors, I bet he'd gone and (laughs) given him a pat on the back. Um, As you say, he's, he's. The two sort of. Well, the three key chances really in the game to one of them, two of us to two of them to to us, um, and the keepers have all all sort of saved their, their team to point there. I think 
Butland looks really good keeper. I've been really impressed with him this season. He's like pushing Joe Hart for the England shirt. Um, sort of carries on playing like I that. I think he's better than Joe Hart. Yeah, already, definitely. But. but obviously Hart's playing at a higher level in Champions League and stuff, so he's got that going for him. But um, he's <laughs> he, he he was brilliant. I mean, you, the especially the Soto chance where he's he's gone through one on one. It's bit maybe, lucky because I actually went under him, but yeah, don't stop his arse, his leg, and then somehow yeah. went over. Did it take the flexion off the defender possibly as well? No, no, didn't. Yeah. header at the end as well, wasn't it? There's another big chance. Was it Lascelles? Yeah, Lascelles. Yeah. Ben, back to Newcastle and the performance. Do you think it was enough after the derby? Do you th- I mean, Newcastle were pulled off the pitch. Yeah, I think it was just it was sort of coming back to sort of um, to, to sort of. <laughs> Life, I guess. Um, obviously, the, as was, as I said before, I think a, a lot of people you could have you could have seen the players coming out and being a bit nervous um, after the the Sunderland game because they probably thought there'd be a bit of a reaction. Um, and obviously, it's a massive. If we lose against Stoke, we're in big trouble. But um, I think they approached the game the right way. They came out and were well, we're positive. Um, and it, as I said, I think defensively we were a lot more solid. Obviously, it helps when you've got eleven men on the pitch. Um, but I think they pride themselves on much better um, and to be fair that midfield I thought would, would get ran ragged a bit with Teote and uh, Anita but I thought Teote played quite well actually considering yeah, had his best game sort of since he's come back years. Yeah, since he wasn't been, that good but he yeah, still exactly, his best game in a exactly. long time but, um, and, and Anita was a bit of a liability really but I think we, we sort of we've picked that out on, on Friday as being the the sort of area where we could really struggle and I, I think they did okay. Sai, uh, were you happy with the team selection? Were you happy with that <laughs> midfield? Like Ben said, that we were playing against five midfield with uh, Teote and Anita. Well, yeah, he was never going to change the, the lineup that's kind of been working from recently. Yes, we've not got enough points for it, but there's four four twos working. You can't you can't break up... Can't you break up the, uh, the Mitrovic Perez partnership was never. You can't take that apart because as soon as he stopped playing with it, as he did towards the end, we kind of lost a bit of emphasis. Um, I thought Tioti played. I think I said on Friday Tioti played well in the derby, and if we can get him fit, and he looks like he's getting there, yeah. he'll be all right. Anita, he was poor. He was really, really poor. And he's just them. He's them free just, kicks. He's just average, and as Ben says, but it's when he gives away the ball. It's like, well, you're only the only good thing about you, Anita, is keeping possession. Yeah. And then when you don't do it, it's like just some of them the quick free kicks he took away, he literally passed it straight to the moment. It was like a um when all, all our sort of players had pushed well, up forward. A player a player who could play centre midfield who will come on to later. So I spent my whole Sunday morning uh slagging off Rob Elliott and defending Sosoko on Twitter, which I didn't find <laughs> anyway. I'll come on to that. Um Sai or one of you said on the radio show I think he could move Sissoko inside and play Tovan or Aaron if he's ever fit mm-hmm. do, you, do you see that as a real, realistic proposition Sai moving forward do you think would, this is I would I would with Aaron's. I just don't know about Tovan I think it would be a massive gamble to start starting games with him again we don't know enough about him he hasn't looked great and he's not really looked like if you don't know enough about him I feel a dog's game coming on <laughs> educate you <laughs> I wonder who the answer is going to be then <laughs> Uh, I, no, I mean we we said on the we, we discussed it on the show on Friday. I don't know yeah. if you were listening, but we said you could probably win Yaldem also, so it could have come in, and that we sort of touted that as potentially being a better option than going with Anita or Tiote, um, or at least Anita, instead of Anita anyway. Um, and I think I think what we're saying was when has been sort of playing quite narrow anyway, so he's sort of been filling in to make sort of pack the midfield and give them an option um, all the time. And I think he he was getting on the ball and it, I mean he's got some brilliant skills. I mean when he gets the ball in space with a man on him, he never really loses it. Um, he's really good sort of to to get away from the first from from the first man. Um, and I think that's the sort of skill that you need playing centre mid that could could do um, a lot of lot of sort of would, would come in useful. But just as you say, it's a bit of a you probably lose something bringing him inside um, because who you're going to play out wide. Lee Ryan's blocker <laughs> on Twitter. Why? I don't know. I, I remember. I was just going to have a look because I was going to ask Sai about the fullback position. And the before you lad turned up on my account, um, we're not blocked. So it was like Lee Ryder's um, saying uh, Hydara got injured tonight, and I wanted to check whether he came back on or not. 
because that was going to basically negate my next question before I asked you. So I'm on the podcast account, I'm certainly right, we're pretty blocked. We've never said anything to him ever. Uh, we've probably given him a stick in the past, too fair, does he? I've mentioned him a couple well, of times. Well, he must podcast. listen, because yeah. we haven't oh. tweeted him directly. Oh. A vile scored. Bloody Jordan, are you? Spurs one shot if they don't win this game, it's been so easy for them. Uh. But anyway, we've, I've never said it. Let's be, let's be honest, it's me that does 95% of the tweeting, and I've never sent a, a tweet about or to Lee Ryder. Lee, we did, we did, we did <laughs> if you're pod, listening. We did a pod a while back, which is, what do, you, what do you dislike about football? And I think Lee Ryder was pretty much one of, one of, one of my points, so there is a chance. Maybe it's his general true faith stuff, because oh, there is sure. a diary of Lee Ryder in is true it? faith, age 44 and a half, um, <laughs> which is, isn't like really very flattering. Yeah. Um, but wasn't us, Lee. Yeah. Maybe maybe has a he's been, maybe he's been speaking to other big time listeners Southern Football Club. He's good friends with Adam Bonson and he's just uh, <laughs> heard, him, heard him being slandered on uh, Friday night. Yeah, is that, that's enough, right? Where were we? Well, I was just about to ask you. Um, I got stick on Twitter for criticising the continued selection of Paul Dummett, who totally negates Wijnaldum as an attacking threat on the left because. He, he does, Paul doesn't, offer doesn't know how to play fullback. He doesn't have a clue. He's not terrible. He's a good centre back. There's an argument to say he should possibly be in the team ahead of Colaccini at centre back. But I would much rather see Wijnaldum and Haidara, as they did against Chelsea, by the way, and were excellent that game, mm-hmm. um, play together. Uh, and I was going to ask you, Sai, what you do against Bournemouth, but if Haidara is injured, then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's nothing else you can do, is there? Um, I wouldn't. Play around with it too much. I mean, thought the cells played very well when he came on. Yeah, another one. And I wouldn't. Is uh, depending on if Yamat's uh, fit. That's a no one's talking about that. Yeah. Um, obviously, if Yamat's knackered, then we're going to have to play the cells. But if 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 Yamat was fit, there'd be an argument for maybe putting Mbemba at the left back. But we all know how that can just just go stupid playing centre halves at full back. So um, even though you just said the same of Dummett. He didn't have a bad game. Yes, you're absolutely right. When Yaldin was was anonymous because he just had nothing, the ball came to him. He had no support from his fullback, and he's just having to go straight back inside. I wouldn't say he was anonymous, like. Oh, yeah, he, was, he, he had a very quiet uh, game. This is a, this is what happened. I may as well have, have my say now about these, <laughs> these players. Like I always say at Twitter Sunday morning, always after, especially after a game we don't win, do a kind of things we we'll learn and, and post me points and have a bit chat with different people and listeners and stuff. And I was saying like. Um, Maybe Lee was trying to get you uh, to respond and you just ignored him. <laughs> um, we're also true, Jordy, also blocked. Never had anything to do with the block. Blocked. <laughs> um, I th- no. Um, but, yeah. And I was saying, obviously, Sissoko is our best player. Anyone who thinks Sissoko is not Newcastle United's best attacking threat, consistent attacking threat anyway, I know Mitrovic is, strictly speaking, Newcastle's best attacking threat, but Mitrovic's only chance on. Saturday came from a Sissoko cross. Oh, yeah. I think I remember uh, turning gear with like maybe it's about sixty minutes in. There's people all around him going, "Get him off! Get Sissoko off!" And I turned to him and just said, "If we take him off, we've got no chance here." Yeah, he had <laughs> the two best chances on Saturday, yeah. and a couple of people just won't let it lie. And everyone's entitled to their opinion. No, he's shite. Well, he's he's not like <laughs> he might be lazy, he might be inconsistent, but he's our best player. Like it's just like this. I can't understand how someone can see. That he's not best player. I think it was Mark Wallace on Twitter got in touch and said he doesn't dominate games. And like, well, what other right midfielder do you know that dominates games? And I said, how many games does Wijnaldum oh. dominate? Because um, it's not many. He got four against Norwich. He didn't dominate the game. He played well. Mm. I don't think Wijnaldum's performance this season has been any different. It is. Goes. It is quite interesting actually when you hear the people. <laughs> you hear yeah. the people getting on on Sissoko's back for not tracking back. But I've seen Wijnaldum just let yeah, people run past. Look at them. Know look at Nathan. There was one where he, just, he literally just burned uh, like two Stoke players and ran 60 yards with the ball and put a yeah. cross in. And then they took took a goal kick and they took a quick um, ball up field. And he was like, Sotomo, get back, man. Like, Come on, <laughs> give the guy a break. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's exactly right. It, it, it comes on to what we're going to say about fullbacks and partnerships. Jan Matsusoko is is class. Like, I think a lot of Premier League teams would really like that right side and I just can't listen, I know Sissoko's lazy. There was times in the Derby, even in a good game in the Derby I thought, where he was five yards away from a player and he just let them pass. Because he's probably thinking I can't get the ball here, but still fans like to see people run and pressure players and I'm not excusing him and he, he frustrates me as well and me and Mickey, who's not here tonight, have had this conversation a hundred times yeah. on the podcast. Mickey hates him and it's just like 
if imagine if he got injured now for six months or so ago, would be fucked. Would have be... to hold two man in, and then you you don't know what you're getting. And it's 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 a strange one. But if you, if you look at the midfield, I think moving Sissoko inside is an option. It would negate him as an attacking threat. But Anita's so lightweight and offers so little going forward. Like to be a modern Premier League player like Anita or Colback, um, and and basically offer nothing as an attacking threat. It's not really sustainable anymore. It's just not. It's it's madness. We look at Fernandinho. I know he's been for Man City. He, he he chips in like. <laughs> With a few goals, he's not just a defensive midfielder. Oh, tell tell that in the pot. <laughs> Bit of an RFF <laughs> gag there. Uh, <laughs> um, but I mean, the goalkeeper as well. I mean, people were having a go at saying, "Well, he's shit," and I was just like, "But he is." Yes, he's allowed to be shit because he's a third choice goalkeeper. Yeah, it's, it's not his fault, but he's still bad. And it's like really bad. he shouldn't really be playing for Newcastle. And he's made six, he signed in two thousand and eleven, and he's made sixteen appearances for Newcastle. Six one one six, by the way. And I had, I had people telling me that, um, well, how many other teams have an international as their third goalkeeper? Well, hang on, let's qualify that. He doesn't get on the bench for them, for Ireland. He gets in the squad. Do you and know it's Ireland? Uh, it's Ireland. Do you know who's keeping him out of the bench? Millwall's keeper in League One. <laughs> and it's like, listen, Rob Elliott is Newcastle's third choice goalkeeper. He's allowed to be shit. But people kicking off at me saying, oh, you know, he's, you know you're being over harsh. Richie Smith, good friend of the show, is a huge, a huge Rebellion fan. Really? I had someone ask for me he was a Premier League keeper, and I'm like, if he's really a Premier League keeper, do you it's think like, he'd stop on the bench at Newcastle for five years? It's like if you've got an international job on Football Manager and you just sort by league, and yeah. you just go to the, the highest place player <laughs> and you just pick him, you've got no idea if he's any good. Rob Elliott, the only way he's in that island squad is because of where he is. Yeah. If someone's actually been to watch him play, they'll be like, well, this And one. he made one say, he, the one say that had to make, he made it. But that, that's the problem. But it wasn't like a wonder save. I think all, all keepers should be good shot stoppers. Like, yeah. to a certain so level. The minimum anyway. requirement. The minimum requirement is the good shot stopper. And then uh, the higher up you get through the leagues, they should be better at other things. I think. But he, he's just, as you said, um, he's got no command of his area, really. Stays rooted to his line. Um, yeah, he doesn't look like Cross he communicates. Um, he panicked when he's got the ball for no reason <laughs> plays these passes because obviously he's been told by McLaren to play the ball out as sort of really as he can to the wing backs he passes to them on the marked and it's like what are you doing there was one where I think he passed it to Anita Anita had two players around him yeah. basically didn't lost the ball it's, and it's like well, just look man think you idiot like what are you think his distribution was actually quite good his throwing and his, his kicking his throwing good. is excellent it was, it was a positive you could tell yeah, you're right you could tell he'd been told to try and get the full backs every time and he wouldn't let it go, even if they were marked. He was mm-hmm. still trying to give it them. He's like, no, the time's gone. Now he just hit it long. Yeah. And he just, he, he Listen, wasn't. there's a third choice keeper. There's worse. You know, it's all right. But he's better than Jack, Jack Rannick, who was Yeah, he's better than Jack Rannick, who yeah, who was third choice last season. Yeah. So <laughs> he was second choice. We've improved. But um, he's injured again. He seems to injure himself taking goal kicks regularly. Yeah. He, he doesn't play reserve team football. He's not the trimmest of blokes, but... You know, like that might have nothing right, to do with you. Let's not get me. personal, sorry. <laughs> but um, Rob, sorry if you're here, but please don't block me. I know. Please. Everybody Rob, else is blocking me. We're gonna have to re-record this one like last week. So I'm not gonna ring up and it's like we took it down. No, we're speaking on behalf of Rob Elliott. <laughs> we're now going to police your podcast <laughs> every week. Um, just joking, Sunderland. We'll be making gags about Rob Elliott. <laughs> uh, but anyway, he's, he's Newcastle's third choice keeper, so it's not the end of the world. You know, it's fair enough. But I'm not having this. He's not that bad. He's shit. Um, well, I was going to ask Mickey if it was a good point to Stoke at home, but I think before we do that, because hey, Mickey's not here, Mike. Mike. He's gone to sleep. Oh, yeah, no, I'm here. I've got the question. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, <my laughs> so, why didn't you answer when he said Mike? Mike. Just. I was giving him a well, well, what's happening? Right. Anyway, Mike, thanks for joining me. Um, Stoke, because I want before we won't qualify this point, we'll have to look at Stoke a little bit. And if you look at the league position, it's not great. They never, ever start well under Hughes. They're always horrifically slow starters. And it's almost like that's kind of accepted now. Um, like we've already discussed, there seems to be a bit, a bit of a disagreement amongst the players and Mark Hughes' public perception of how good a point that was. Do you think that was a good point for Stoke and what are Stoke aiming for this season? Well, I, I think Stoke should be aiming for the top eight, surely, if you look at where they've built on the last few seasons, just solid finishes. And now they've added that, that's not enough on top set to be getting the summer of the, the likes of Shakiri and, and Boyan back, obviously. Um, so I, I think they should, they should be looking 
you say, they've had such a, a weak start. I mean, they've only scored nine goals in 11 games. So you can see them going away from home and, and, and keeping it tight. And, and that, that's probably sort of kidology for Cube saying, you know, it, it, it's, you know it, it's, it's a point start, you know, not a great point because he, he wants them to push on. Um, uh, and I think they should be aiming a lot higher than that, given, given the players they brought in. It doesn't seem like Shakiri's really doing at the moment. They don't seem to have a striker. Walters is playing up front a lot at the moment. Um, and yeah, they, they just feel they just seem very, um, very, very powder puff at the moment. Having you know, despite them having improved in the last couple of weeks, but I, I think from the beginning of the season, if you're a Stoke fan, you, you'd be certainly looking top ten, if not top eight, for the end of the year. Yeah, fair enough. And I mean, you say that he's potentially, you know, hoping to do better than that. Not with that, ta- that not with that tactical setup, though. Not with many games away from home. Very defensive, they only had one shot really. You still feel like they've, they've got the same issue as us. They've got some quality players sort of wide and, and up top, but again, their midfield. Yeah, Whelan. Charlie Adam. Then Whelan and Charlie Adam. Whelan. It's just. Been it's going not, too long, haven't they, I think? Yeah, it's, yeah. Not, it's not really strong enough to be. I think that's what's holding us back, and that's what's holding them back. You, you're not going to dominate many games when they're sort of like your, your playmakers that deep. Yeah, I think I think they're a bit predictable as well, aren't they? I mean, both of them, Whelan and, and Adam, they're a bit hatchet men, but they've basically got that long diagonal ball in their box that they just love, love like love bringing out. Yeah, Charlie, you, you can you can negate that quite easily if you know what they're going to do every time. Charlie Adam played some horrific balls just straight out for throw-ins <laughs> a couple of times, and you're just like, go on. Did he have any shots in halfway line? He didn't. No, he didn't. But it, but it's just like keep, keep keep them coming all day long, son. Like they were really poor, but I think they're the same as us. They don't really have. Those two aren't really. Neither of them you would say are a playmaker, and neither of them's really like a ball winner. It's it's like us. Tio, okay, if Tio gets back fit and and he can sort of cover the ground, I think he he's a lot better than any of them two. I mean, you just think that they're not really a, a quality um, Premier League midfield, considering where the, as you say they're strengthened everywhere else. As you say, they've got a bit of star quality. And then it's like Charlie Adam and Glenn Whelan. Like they, they shouldn't really be. They should the championship quality really. Yeah. Yeah. You said them in shouldn't be making up the you numbers. Know, on, he's like, not even thirty, Charlie Adam. You know that. He's not thirty. <laughs> no, he's like twenty nine. I'm sure he's like twenty nine or something ludicrous like that. That's right. Oof, Alan Hutton. Absolutely mental. Um, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And I suppose I'll bring it back to you, lads. I'll start with you, Si. Oh, it, the the reaction of the game has been fairly positive. The, they got applauded off the pitch. Everything was all right. People are not panicking yet. Um, was it a good point? Is it a disaster? Should we be beating Stoke at home, especially with the start we've had? It's one of the things that, that's that's the key point there because of the start we've had. Any other day, that was a decent result. You know, we're probably the better team, but you couldn't argue with a draw. But in context, because we're only on six, we're now seven points. We kind of needed a win there, and if you look at the season as a whole, eleven games gone, and we've got seven points. That means really, just we're, we're looking at safety now, and that means we need to win like one in every two games now, or or something close to that. And that suddenly becomes a really difficult task. It's like how many more weeks can you say? Oh, it was a good performance. We'll get there. We'll get there. You can't really do that many more weeks. We need to start picking up points. So it's, yeah, it's. It, as you say, you can't argue that it was a decent result, and that, as you said, there was positivity, and it's maybe a little bit too early to panic, but we're getting close. We're getting really close. So yeah, my question to you then, Ben, is McLaren time running out, or oh. is he building something special here? Harry Kane. I don't think it's too early to say he's time running out. Um, but as as I was alluding to there, we are running out of games, um, and especially home games. Like let's not be around the bush. We're awful from home. We're not going to pick up many points away from even, home. Away from home, yeah. We would won this year. This yeah. Year. Um, we're we're just we're, we're awful. Like we're not going to uh, get much away from home, even against the poor teams. I think we'll go and struggle. So every home game counts. For it needs to count. Um, so it it, it is it, it's a bit of a mess that we've not won, but they've they've got they've got a few opportunities coming up to to, to sort of make make it count. I guess um, starting with Bournemouth this week. I'm not panicking just yet because I think there's there's some good stuff coming and I think you feel like it's just a shame that we've had such a tough start because I feel like this team especially I mean we had it under Pardew um, for a number of years that they seem to need the momentum to get them going then they go on a good run and we've just not been able to get get sort of that that run going 
I was hoping sort of the Norwich game would would be the one uh, be the catalyst for it, but it's you could it's say just, it was because the performances have all been very good. Yeah. Last three games we've been the better team comfortably. Mm-hmm. I mean, my I've I've done some research into this to, to kind of find out where we are as a club and how McLaren's doing and. The most damned thing about John Carver's team, terrible, disgraceful John Carver team, <laughs> was that I thought the Newcastle relegation side of 08-9 were better than them. I thought if the two sides played each other, that Newcastle team from 08-9, as bad as they were, would have beaten us last season, especially under Carver. I think this team is miles ahead of both of those teams, both in terms of uh, ability, passion, um, managerial ability as well so that's a good sign for me I looked I looked through um, my predictions at the start of the season how it got on and I actually only thought we'll have 9 points now anyway so I thought at the start of the season looking through these first games really hard run of fixtures would give one 9 points so if we'd have beaten Stoke and it's all ifs and we came close to beating them we would have 9 points and using the exact same logic I've looked at the next 8 games and I think we'll get 14 points um, I may as well back myself up I think we'll beat Bournemouth I think we'll beat Leicester at home we'll get a point against Palace a point at home at Liverpool we'll get beat off Spurs away we'll beat Violet Everton and we'll probably get beat at West Brom because uh, it's just the kind of game that with Pulis' teams away from home will really do well and that would give us 23 points uh, on New Year's Eve and that's normally for the past five seasons enough in the Premier League to get you anywhere from 13th to 9th so as long as the performance stays, performances stay as they are, as long as we keep, keep creating chances, not you know we didn't give away loads of chances to Sunderland, despite what people said against Norwich, Rob Elliott didn't make a save. Um, I know they scored two very easy goals, I know they hit the post twice, but one of them was at 5-2 down, and they were both shots from outside the box. Um, I think Newcastle will be alright and we'll get out of it, which is probably a nice place, but positively there to, uh, to finish this part of the show. We'll be back next with a couple of games before moving on to Mike's Premier League section. So we'll start off this part of the show by doing the much-loved, world-famous, university-adored Doggers game. The rules are simple. Those of you listening and love it know the rules as well. But for those of you, if there, are any, if there was anyone left in the world that doesn't know it, uh, here are the rules of the game. I'm going to give the lads a series of clues about a former Newcastle United player and they're going to tell me who it is. New rule this week. I mean, this has been a little new rule for a while. Um, you cannot guess on the first two clues because people are putting, you know, scattergun approach. And you're only allowed one guess per round. Okay? Fair enough. Are you ready, lads? Are you ready, lads? What? <laughs> ready. Ready. Thanks, Mike. Fucking hell. These two here, bloody 21st century children on that bloody... Smartphone sat there. Um, right, lads, who am I? Formerly Carson and Claire. I was born on the 13th of May 1982. Mathematicians amongst you will work out his age from that. That was I. Who am I? I was born on May 13th 1982. My career to date has seen me play at top level teams in France, Holland, Portugal, the United States, England. Italy and Belgium. I'll say that again. My career to date has seen me play in France, Holland, Portugal, the United States, Italy and Belgium. I can now accept guesses. I played Obafemi Martins. No, Ben is not Obafemi Martins. I played in all but one of my country's games in the group stages of the 2006 and 2010 World Cup. Say that again. I played in all but one of my country's group games in the 2006 and 2010 World Cup. No guesses yet. I was heavily criticised in Zlatan Ibrahimovic's autobiography. I was heavily criticised in Zlatan Ibrahimovic's autobiography. It's quite a claim to fame, you like, you know. It could be a lot of people, right? I don't know, he doesn't... He, yeah, he does slag off a lot of people, but they haven't played for Newcastle. <laughs> um, I played 69 times for my country, scoring six goals. Well, that's, um, I thought I might have beaten you. This is the first time in a long time Do- Dogger will have won Dogger's game. Not, not even a guess. Not a real one, anyway. <laughs> what do you mean, not a real one? 
Well, Trey Martins. He's about 33, 34 or something. <laughs> he's played in America. Well, he's playing in America now. He's played in some gag countries. Belgium. In fact, it is Martins. Holland. France. I don't know. Is that, is that what he Well, he is 21 or 28 or something, so he could have played in them when Man, he was younger. Man, since beaten you, come on, four Newcastle United player who's been about. Shall I give you another clue? This is a bonus clue. The last three clubs I played for were all in the English Championship. Mike, come on. You either played against it. Was one of them was one of them Doncaster? No, it was not. Oh. Carl Courtwood and Jeff West by uh, QPR, Charlton. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a thing. So this isn't Doggers game, but okay. Send <laughs> Santa back. Was it the Gucci? Yes. Gucci on you. Gucci on where you. He got jipped by Zlatan. You had a, when he went to Milan, Milan, Milan yeah. they had a fight in training, a proper really? massive fight. And Zlatan in his autobiography was like, he was just a nobody wanting to make his name against me. Dogger won Dogger's game this week. Get in. No, he didn't. I did. I just got the player. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you enjoyed that, listeners. Um, Expert football knowledge as always from the lads. Just was he really ever a Newcastle player, man? Like he played. Well, he, I seem to remember playing. Full of games, was like. he really Newcastle player? Yes. <laughs> he's I only thirty-three. He's on pretty low. Did that actually he's, happen? He's played sixteen games in the past five years or something mental. Um, more of an athlete than a football, I think it's fair to say. What a life. Uh, okay, here is here is Dogger's listeners challenge as well. Bonus game this week for all of you listeners out there. I'm going to put it to you, lads. He's Probably won't get it right, and if you don't get it right, I will open it up to the listeners who can tweet in the answers. You know tweets. <laughs> um, so, lads, I would like you to name the top three non-British nationalities to appear in the Premier League in order, please. Who would like to guess first? One. What do you mean the top three non-British nationalities? Makes perfect sense. Ben. Oh, sorry, yeah, perfect sense. Yeah, okay, you know, perfect. Um, who wants uh, to go first? Mike, go on. Spanish. You no, just give me a three. I'm only going to accept one answer. Give me a three in reverse order. Oh Christ! Less uh, of the bar for me as well. Thank you. What do you mean that is in most represented? Yes. Right. Number of players. Go on, Mike. Oh, that's difficult now. And does Ireland count as? Is it UK and Ireland, or are they a non-British? Because they're not British. I'd say Ireland doesn't count. But I don't think they're top anyway. But right. I think Ireland does count, but it's not in the top three. Right, okay. Right. There you go, lads. Just <laughs> Look at him with his sneaky. How are lads? Come on, we've got a, a, a friggin' podcast. Mike, <laughs> we've asked Mike. Right, how are Mike? Give us your three. Um, Spanish, well, okay, Dutch top, um, Spanish, and French. Is incorrect. I'd go French top, um, then Dutch, then German. Is incorrect. Well, I'll go French top, then Spanish, then Italian. Is incorrect. If anyone wants to get in touch and let me know, uh, there's literally no prize available, but you'll get some kind of kudos. We'll retweet you and uh, get googling. Yeah, it's quite it'd be quite what a hard one to Google unless you wanted to sit there and count all of the different nationalities, <laughs> like I bloody did. There'll be someone. I was going to say there'll be someone. Who loves your quizzes? One, one thousands, of these fans. Thousands, Ben. Mike, the Premier League. Let's talk. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just trying to put my head back together. I'm quite demoralised after those two quizzes, actually. I'm actually gutted. <laughs> to be fair, I'll give, I'll, give you not, I'll give you not getting one time Newcastle player, Guchon, on where you. These lads, however. <laughs> I got him? You got him? <laughs> Did I not say him? You got him after. Yeah, okay. anyway, so anyway, you, admit, we'll, you do we'll, admit. We'll I'll banish those memories. I think we'll, we'll leave that there. Uh, 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 yeah, move on. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Liverpool is probably the best place to start, or, or, or Chelsea, however way you, you want to take it. Um, first of all, the, aside from the win on the pitch of Liverpool, it was a decent win. Um, obviously, Klopp's had a solid enough start and then starting to get a couple of wins under his belt. But just my heart sank. I don't know if you saw the, uh, any of the post match press conferences afterwards. But one of the questions when the when the media um, were were quizzing Klopp after the game, straight away it comes in. What do you think your title chances, Jurgen, after <laughs> that victory? It just my heart absolutely so just like so embarrassing. The British media 
get one win against Chelsea. First of all, I don't think winning against Chelsea anymore is a bellwether of, of, of how good you are in terms of <laughs> making a challenge for the top four. And secondly, he's been there for five games, man. It's absolutely, absolutely ludicrous. Uh, it it just, just wound me up. But it's just... I thought we got away from Jeff Shreves. It was it was as if Jeff Shreves was in the room just feeding questions through the lads and just like, what else can I ask him that? But aside from that, um, Liverpool, I, I thought it was an encouraging display. As I said, Chelsea obviously having a shotgun, but even when they were, they were behind, it seemed it didn't seem for long to me that, that Liverpool were, were out of control of the game. Um, and, and, and now they're starting to add a few goals in. They're keeping it tight the last few games on the clock. Um, and, and, and they're starting to make progress. And I was just thinking, um, after that question about what you think of your, of your title chances, Jürgen, I was starting to think of, of what would actually, realistically, Liverpool fans should be happy with at the end of the season. And, and thinking about it, that, that fourth place is, is massively up for grabs. Um, I, I, I think Liverpool should be delighted if they do get fourth. Yeah. But if you look at it, you, you'd probably say Man City and Arsenal are definitely shoo-in for, uh, for the top four. United should really should really get it, despite what we said about them in the past. But Chelsea, you, you don't know how long this is going to go on for. We keep assuming that this slide can't continue to go on and uh, have such a mare, but there seems to be such a, a negative attitude around the whole club. Um, not you know, it's pretty much largely stoked by Mourinho, I think, at the moment. That it, it uh, you do have to start to think soon in the next uh, in the next five or six weeks if they don't start turning around with it whether they will actually be able to get hold of fourth spot. So there is a chance for Liverpool if they can get, their, get themselves in order to, to possibly nick in fourth um, and for Spurs, more more to the point. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, it just got me thinking of that, of that ludicrous question. Um, actually thinking about it, Liverpool could feasibly get back in the Champions League this season and, uh, and they're starting to make a bit of progress. Great points, and I also cracked up at you and Clark, and I think he handled the question very well with a bit of a. He, he laughed, which was like the right yeah. response, where he was just like, Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> no, um, yeah, I think the words are, Are you crazy? Yeah, exactly, yeah. And um, it's it's just, I thought Liverpool were really good on Saturday. I thought they were even better because when I went to the bar before the match, Ben told me someone had been sent off. <laughs> So I, I would spend the rest of the game thinking Liverpool were down to 10 men on like 60 minutes. I was like, fucking hell, I'm battering them here. Uh, that happened. Thank God on Twitter just saying, oh, there's a tactical masterclass from clock with 10 men. So obviously when Lucas was like spared, I was thinking the ref's bottle sending them down to nine. What a prick. <laughs> An even worse decision, really, on the face of it. But um, I, I, I just, yeah, quickly, I totally agree with everything you say. I think fourth is the aim, I think. I think the Europa League now takes on another dimension with Klopp. I think that could be a really good chance of them, um, you know, building a side, allowing the young players to play. It could be a really good way of Klopp uh, rotating the, you know, allowing a lot of the players who who don't play so much get into the the style of play, which obviously demands a lot of uh, fitness and running and stuff like that. So I think Liverpool are in for a decent season. Um, Chelsea. Just saying before, Mike, um, I actually had a quick listen to our pre-season prediction podcast, yeah. and I was looking for the part where you all rinsed me when I said Chelsea's poor, poor performances at the end of last season were potentially indicative of how this season would go. He's all shot me down, um, and then quite impressively, Ben said in the the uh, ridiculously long Premier League preview that we did, like an hour and a half long, um, that Chelsea's lack of investment in the summer would come, come to catch up with them, and he's been proved right. So, well done, Ben. Uh, I, th- I think that's right, isn't it? It's, it was a surprising move, and it makes you wonder whether Mourinho was in control of that, because you'd think Mourinho, of all people, would um, w- would not let a team rest on their laurels and would immediately get at least one, if not two, top-class players in um, to a team that's won the league. Um, and I suppose it does make you wonder whether he was in control of that or whether... I'm sure he didn't want them jetting all around the world on all those pre-season yeah. and post-season tours that they did as well. So um, it, it does make you wonder if there, there was something in the in the pipeline uh, even before the season started. It is it is a strange one, especially when you look at the defence, which has been their their sort of strength for so long. But they're all getting the wrong side of thirty. That's the last thing they would have needed. Ivanovic and Terry. Mm-hmm. Caught being carted around Asia and yeah. Australia and everything, <laughs> yeah. thousands of miles for for basically just charity games essentially. Um, 
and they'd have to come in and, and obviously Ivanovic got found out straight away off that Montero lad who had a bit of pace and everyone's just used that as the blueprint just go with pace down the, the wings and it's just they haven't really recovered from it um, obviously yeah, Terry, Terry yeah. got dropped and they signed that, that was it Baba Rothman the, the, the fact yeah. that if, you, if he was any good they'd just <laughs> would have him to right back and put a half decent left back in but it looks absolutely terrible <laughs> moving on we've got a lot to go through yeah I, th- I think like, we, we've obviously talked to quite a lot negatively around Villa but um, <laughs> interesting yeah. appointment I think Remy Gard going there obviously confirmed not made it up for the Spurs game today I saw the BBC article on it um, today when I, when I talk about the appointment and one of the subheads uh, of the article was um, risky appointment for Villa? Question mark. And I think <laughs> it got me thinking surely it's riskier for Remy Gard going to, going to Aston Villa than the other way around. I thought I was I thought it was an excellent appointment. I'm surprised they, they managed to get him to be honest because you look at Villa's predicament at the moment they're, they're, they're cut adrift quite a lot already um, and they've got a very young team you look at the likes of the, you know, Michael Richards Jolie and Lescott hang on at the back. they're not young um, you said they're not a young team oh right I thought you said they're a young team <laughs> no he said they're specifically oh, right. saying the opposite of that oh right <laughs> no um, but what I'm saying they brought in they brought in quite a lot of young players but they're building off that base yeah. and it's not a base you look at Alan Hunt yeah Hunt and Lescott <laughs> and Michael Richards and Richardson there's nothing, there's, not a lot of leadership in their structure um, and it, yeah I, I'm surprised I managed to convince him but he said Remy Garden in his interview that 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 Randy Lerner's plan for the club are very ambitious and he's got huge plans which surprised me really when you look at I know they spent quite a bit this summer but if you look at the last few years and how basically they seem like they gave up after not being able to get in the Champions League under Martin O'Neill it's uh, it, it, it seems well Obviously, they had to say something to, to get someone in because they're absolutely desperate. But I was uh, I was very surprised that Remy Gard went there, and I think he's a he's an excellent excellent prospect as a manager, and it, I thought it'd be a good chance. Cause I know uh, he was in a frame for the Newcastle job back in uh, back before before the start of the season. So j- just looking back at, at your guys, like trawling back through your memories and, and what you were hoping, whether you wanted him um, at Newcastle uh, before McLaren got the job, because I, I think he's a He's an excellent uh, appointment for Villa, but I think he's uh, he's got a, a hell of a job on his hands. Well, I'll put that to the lads, Mike, and I think it's a good question, but I just want to point out two ridiculous things. Number one, the Aston Villa Twitter account um, among <laughs> the news that he'd, that he'd taken the job um, had a special right, graphic, yeah, and put hashtag welcome Remy, with Remy as in lower Remy. Yeah, with a Y, yeah. not IE. So, Vile, we've said it We've said it before, I'll say it again, get out of the league. <laughs> um, the other thing is, uh, you know, Newcastle have only got three more points than Villa and one more point than Sunderland, and we're all saying Steve McLaren's doing like an hour week job. But because Newcastle's fixture list has been really hard, you know, we've, we've played, I don't think there's any of the top teams. There's only, of all, the, the whole of the top six last season, there's only Spurs last and played. Liverpool. Spurs and So we've played the whole of the top four. Um, and we've played some other harsh teams away from home um, and the next uh, eight games are eminently easier for Newcastle Sunderland and Villa had the two easiest starts to a Premier League season I think I've ever seen in my entire life um, Aston Villa's next games for every guards are um, let's have a quick look I'm getting them up now I did have them before so sorry about that prepared as always on Man City at home, Everton away, Watford, which like yeah, fair enough. You'd expect, you know, despite their recent good form, you'd expect to turn them over. But certainly, Man City at home and Everton away are not easy fixes to start off with. You're very realistically looking at zero points from six there. Then Southampton away, Arsenal at home, Newcastle at home, which is a massive game. West Ham at home, which you know again you'd be looking for points, but is like West Ham the best away team in the Premier League statistically. Norwich away, Sunderland away, and it comes into an easier run of games then. So he could be fucked, you know, six games in without a win. There could be well... Yeah, drift. You could think, I mean, realistically there, you could think after 15, 16 games they might have less than 10 points. Well, they're only getting the yeah, they're bombers, that, that, that kind of surprised me a bit about why he took it, because if you look at his history, um, at Lyon, he... He was the first team, he was a, the assistant coach there for, for a couple of years and then Julia left and they offered him the job um, back in 2007 but he turned it down 
um, until until four years later because he felt he wasn't ready. Now, doesn't enjoy taking the job, does he? <laughs> yeah, well, that, well, that, I mean, that, that, that's a pretty impressive thing to, to be able to turn down. You obviously played for Lyon as a player, huge club in France, and to be able to turn down that job. And you, you look at the likes of Sherwood as a perfect example. Don't blame him for taking the job. He got offered a job at Tottenham and, and then Villa, but he's obviously gone in right over his head too early. And then you look at someone like Gard, who's clearly known known what he's capable of and, and wants to build his career. It, ju- it just seems, for someone that's seemingly in control of things, it, it seems a, a surprising um, decision to go to Villa as if he didn't think he'd get another chance because they're in one hell of a predicament and he could quite, could quite easily go down with them, which would be a, a, big, uh, a, a big shift from where, where he's been and a, and a big reputation as a coach. You've probably seen, like... All last couple of games and see Norwich and Sunderland, and he thought, "Fuck that, these yeah. games, these are shit." <laughs> I can build a team that are better than these cunts, and then uh, probably someone like Bournemouth above. He's been like, "Yeah, we'll smash these." It, yeah. it probably said it a bit more uh, poetically <laughs> than that in the interview. I imagine. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, Mark, quickly, sorry, sorry, you want to say something? Well, um, yeah. I mean, obviously, I bet he's been offered some sort of ludicrous um, payoff if he does keep them up. Yeah. Uh, I wonder what what everyone sees. I remember, yes, we were talking about us was, was getting at the start of the season. We would have all taken him just because of how shit <laughs> the, the last six months with Carver had been. But what's what's he got? Like he's, he was at Leon a few years. I mean, he won like the French FA Cup. I think that's all he's got in his CV. Various favourites have got in the Champions League. Yeah, he's a massive gamble. It's a gamble for himself. I agree, Mike. Because why would you take that job? Why would anyone take that job if you want to further your career? But it's a gamble for them as well. It's a total, total like lottery. If it pays off, that's just the, the luckiest move they could have made. Us. I, I don't know. I think if you look at it, Sai, when, when he came in at Leon, that was after a period where, so was it 2001 to 8, they won the French League seven times in a row and then mm. um, several years, about three or four years before we got the job after that, they spent wildly um, and had a mare. So he basically had to come in, completely cut down the wage bill massively, and, and build it off the youth players. So he was the academy director before that, brought all those young players through. So they finished second last year, and eight of those players that regularly started were brought through by him, like Lacazette and, and the likes of that. So and what you're saying is he's a French Tim Sherwood. He's got a very, very, <laughs> very good reputation over there. So I, th- I think there's more to it than just looking at league position to make finish with them. No doubt, but what, what what can he really do for Villa now? I mean, we've just watched them there. I think he's the most high-profile con- candidate out there, Si. I think it's like... He, he Number one, he's managed a big club for a number of years. So that's already they've got something better than Sherwood, yeah. who's, who's spent six months in management. He's managed a top club for four seasons... And that's there's something in that, like he's managed not to get sacked, uh, and a pretty um, the Leon owners not the kind of most patient. Like Mike said, they spent loads of money, had to get rid of managers. The they haven't had much success since then since he left. Um, he had played an attractive brand of football, and he built something. And he only he only ended up leaving due to what he can't, he said at the time of personal reasons. It wasn't that he got sacked or anything. He chose to resign. So listen, I, I, I'll take all your points on board and I agree to an extent, but I think for, for Vial, who, who else? Literally, I don't think there was anyone else in the job. Dwight York was like second favourite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fine. Moving on from Vial, Mike. Yeah, I think just, just last to round off the Premier League, you touched on Watford there um, as one of their opponents coming up, but just wanted to give him a bit of praise, really. I've obviously won the last two games 2-0. Um, and... They're nine points above the relegation zone already, which is which is cracking and especially impressive. As last season when they came, they came up from the championship and it was all goals, uh, top scorers, it's an absolute handful. Yeah, this season they changed manager, pretty much changed the whole squad, and they changed the way they're playing completely. They've only conceded ten goals in eleven games. Don't score many, but they. I think that's the most impressive thing about them. They played a completely different way. For when they when they were promoted and have gone up, um, and it goes completely against all the, the traditional <laughs> what we what we think is a traditionally successful club, you know, consistency of uh, of playing staff, managers, philosophy, um, and I think it's very interesting and impressive how they've they turned it around and they, they look like a real team. Um, to have sixteen points already this season, you, you do worry if they if Igalo's goals dry up, then then they could come unstuck. But they've got 
Leicester, Man United, Villa, and Norwich coming up. So there are points to be had in the next four games for them. Um, and I, I just think it's worth um, Leicester, worth Ma- Leicester, Man United, two of the, the, the table's top four. He's injured at the moment. Leicester, Man United, Villa, and Norwich. I think it's difficult to get burst at some point. Man United, you can, if you keep it tight against them and sit back, United are very one paced. Um, certainly, they don't play for error. But it, it's not the most far fetched thing. But then you've got Villa and Norwich as well. There, there are chances there, um, and, I, and I think they're, they're a good form. They're a tight team. They don't concede many. Um, so I, I just, I just think it, it, it's very impressive the way that they've they've adopted a completely different philosophy from from what was the the one that got them up in, in the first place. And, 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 and fair play to them. Yeah, I agree. And um, quite funny this weekend. Actually, I tweeted that on Sunday morning, saying. For all the positives we're finding, we're nine points behind Watford after eleven games, and realistically, in the past few seasons, thirty-two points is is, is like you'll get relegated with it, but you, you're at least battling to stay up on thirty-two points. Yeah. You're not like cut adrift. They've got half of that already, with less than a third of the season gone. With the the, the only the thing that they've had going for them, they haven't had any of the, the tough away games yet. So that's all to come, and that's going to catch up with them eventually. Where you you're probably saying they're going to get no points, but yeah. um, it's it, it's fantastic. But what what's quite funny is as, as soon as I tweeted it, it's like seconds later, I put we're saying we're not shit, but I said what for our shit and what for our shit. Like there's nothing wrong with that as a newly promoted team. You don't have to be good, like you said. There don't score many, um, but excellent defensive record. They look like a good team. I still think they're a bit rubbish. Like I still wouldn't say Watford are a good team. They're doing great. I had a, I had a Watford fan straight away. Beat you, didn't we? And it's like, how I mate? Number one, yes, you did, and well done. Deserved winners in the day. Number two, how have you found that tweet? You, you, I didn't hashtag Watford. You didn't follow us. You must have been sitting on Twitter searching Watford like, in the search bar for like people to tweet. I was just like, how are you, mate? <laughs> it wasn't, but I was just like, "How am I, mate? Like, I'm not. This is. I'm not having a go at Watford. Of course, he's are like a poor side. He's on ninth. It's brilliant. You're not finished ninth, but well, well done. Don't don't take so much offence. You deserve to win at St James's Park. Good luck, yeah. And then he was like, "Fair play, good luck to you as well. But how am I, mate? You've got to have better things than some Sunday morning and tweet in your castle podcast. Fuck me, lads. Watford. Yeah, you've got. I've both covered it. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> Yeah. Is that it for the mic on the Premier League? Yeah, they're my points I wanted to pick up from this weekend, yeah. Yeah, cheers. Well, I enjoyed that. Uh, thanks. I think it's worth giving a little shout-out to Crystal Palace. One goal in open play since August. <laughs> that a shout-out? It's happening, lads. And masses. We all knew it was happening. And, and you can dress it up and you can have your parts for England bandwagon. One goal in open play since August is a disgrace. <laughs> it is an absolute disgrace. And you might think Crystal Palace fans... Oh, we've had injuries. Oh, we've had hard games. We've had Man City. We've had Man United. We've been away here. We've done that kind of stuff. These are the kind of records that are going to start piling up. Where like you're thinking, all oh, right, we haven't won in 24 months, or you know, <laughs> we, we haven't won an away game in two years. It's just like they just creep up on you until someone says it on match of the day. And you're like, yes, we haven't won in 24 months. <laughs> yes, we are shit. <laughs> and it's like it, it, Paul Jones coming out saying, you know, we deserve to beat the Man U and the did and Balassi. Great save by the hair under the bottom. You saw the Christ, that was a good save. Um, but it's it's just starting to, to feel like Groundhog Day, Groundhog Day, Fallon Pardew. They're still riding high. I think they're still up there, like 6th, 7th, 8th in the league, um, based on their base, their, their run of games in August, which they had a comfortable start of the season. And they, they won a lot of games they didn't deserve to win, but it's happening. Lads, thanks very much. Mike and uh, Ben and Cy, been a pleasure. We will be... No we will be back on Friday with the radio show, as I said. Special podcast this week with um, NUST McMartin. Any questions on fan ownership or anything for the NUST you'd like to get in touch with, drop us a tweet at TFWeeklyPod. Thanks very much. <laughs>